Well, good afternoon. You are a part of the first lesson in a new series that I am leading on the book of Philippians. It is titled Finding Joy in Difficult Times. And I'm sure that I don't have to explain to you the difficulty of the times that we are living in. But the question is, how do we find joy? And my response is, I believe we find joy in this right here, in the Word of God. And so I'm glad to be able to be starting this series. We're going to be showing this series live. I'll be leading it each Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Central Time right here on my Facebook page. And then uh, at 6 p.m. Central Time, we will load this, uh, have this lesson broadcast on our live uh, streaming page at our westerwin.com website. That's the website for the West Irwin Church of Christ. Uh, where I've been a preacher for right at five years, uh, about a month longer than that now. And uh, we'll show it on our live streaming page. The way you get to that is to go to westerwin.com and then click on our social media and resources or scroll over that uh, link. Click on the link that says live streaming page and you go down and you'll see that uh, place where we will be showing uh, these videos. It's also where we show our Sunday morning uh, service, worship service that begins at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Daylight Time. And we're just uh, going to be showing this as a replay broadcast uh, after it has been shown live on my Facebook page. Uh, the lessons, I plan on them going about 30 minutes. Those of you that know me know that's going to be the probably the biggest challenge in all of this, but that's my plan. And we have uh, Zoom classes from two of our wonderful ministers that start uh, at 5 p.m. Central Time. And so I'm going to make these about the length of a Sunday night sermon. And so you won't feel like you're in a uh, Sunday evening worship service, but you will get a chance uh, to come into our front room, it looks like. This is the best place for lighting. Uh, sorry about the glare off the top of the head, but, you know, you do what you need to do. And, uh, and so that's where we're going to be on Sunday afternoons. I'm excited about this study. I'm excited about going through and working through the book of Philippians with you. We won't be covering a chapter a day. In fact, today we're just covering the first two verses. Uh, next week we'll get into the rest of chapter 1 and, and take a couple of weeks or so to, to get through chapter 1 as we're trying to take our time uh, going through this series. Um, again, we're, I'm excited that you're joining. Uh, if you uh, want to, uh, if you miss this, it will be on my Facebook page, obviously, after it's done. And you can uh, check it out there. And again, it will be on our westerwin.com live stream page uh, following that, and also our Westerwin live page uh, on Facebook at uh, 6 p.m. Central Time uh, also. So uh, lots of things going on. I'll still be doing my Tuesday and Thursday afternoon uh, Facebook page study of the Book of Acts, and that is archived on, on our uh, westerwin.com page. And so uh, looking forward to that uh, as well. I'm seeing some folks that uh, tune into that uh, on a regular basis, Eric and Cindy Mosley, uh, Larry and Lynn Murphy, some wonderful members of our West Irwin Church family. Uh, lots of other folks that will be tuning in. As always, if you want to write in something and just say hello, you're welcome to do that. I may mention some of those, uh, but not all. And uh, if you ever have a question about anything that we discuss, of course, you can 
uh, put that in the comment page here, or if you like, you can send me a Facebook message and we can chat uh, more privately that way. Or you can send me an email, uh, my uh, email address, Allen at westirwin, irwin with an e, dot org, O-R-G, and you're welcome to do that uh, as well. Uh, love and appreciate all who are willing to take some time uh, to study the Word of God. We hope and pray that things will become a little bit more like what we were used to before pandemic shutdown, realizing that it's never going to be the same. But we hope that more folks can be involved and participate in our worship assemblies that we have at 10 a.m. and in these other uh, online services and Bible classes that we have and others have through uh, the week. Wonderful to see my dear friends from Arlington, Joe and Lenny Allard with us. Uh, also, Myron and Elizabeth, Mr. President, great to see you. Glad to have you all. They're very active with our, our uh, senior Christian ministry are young at heart, as we call them, and uh, wonderful to see them joining in with us uh, as well. You're likely familiar with the book of Philippians. You likely have studied it before, and that's a great thing, and so I'm excited about studying it. It is an incredible uh, message of joy, and the thing that surprises us is that Paul wasn't in a very joyful situation as he was writing these words, uh, but it's a great thing for us to consider. Uh, the book of Philippians is written from the Apostle Paul to a church, and that church is in uh, the city of Philippi, a first century Roman uh, city, uh, and so I want us to, sh to chat a little bit about that um, and then get into uh, just a couple of things as we introduce this study uh, today. Um, the Philippi, and this is from Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible, if you uh, have a few Bible tools, uh, but not very many, I would suggest you get a good Bible dictionary, such as Smith's Bible Dictionary or Erdman's, E-E-R-D-M-A-N, apostrophe S, Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible, a good Bible encyclopedia, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia is kind of the standard on that, and there are others out there uh, as well. Uh, a good commentary on a Bible uh, uh, book is always a good idea. Uh, you have to remember that whenever you read those words, you're reading somebody's uh, research and also uh, somebody's opinions about uh, different things. And so you always, what I like to say is read them with your eyes open. Uh, and, uh, and I suggest that uh, those are great tools in trying to study the Bible and trying to study Scripture, including the book of Philippians. So let's hear what Mr. Erdman has to say about the city of Philippi. Uh, Philippi was a city in Macedonia in northeastern modern-day Greece. So that's where we are. They are in modern-day Greece, northeastern part of the country. If you've been around with us on our Acts studies on Tuesday and Thursdays, then you know that we've been with Paul on a few mission journeys, and uh, we've gone through on the second mission journey this same area. In fact, we'll read about that a little bit in just, uh, uh, just a few moments as Paul establishes the church at Philippi and then visits it again on the third mission journey. But this is in modern-day Greece, the northern province, the northern half of, of Greece in the first century in the Roman Empire was um, the province of Macedonia. The southern province was uh, Achaia. Uh, the southern province included Corinth and Athens. The northern province, in addition to Philippi, included Thessalonica and Berea, all important stops uh, on Paul's second mission journey. 
Um, Philippi was about 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. It was named after Philip II of Macedon. And if you know your history, your world history, then you remember Philip was famous because he had a very famous uh, son. He was famous in his own right, uh, but his son even more so, who began uh, a world empire and his son's name, Alexander uh, the Great. It was named for Philip in 358 uh, BC. Philippi was brought under Roman rule in 168 BC and was later turned into a Roman colony and uh, honored with the names of Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar. Basically what that means is uh, they added to the name of the city uh, to honor uh, those emperors. Um, uh, the fact that it was a Roman colony was very significant. If uh, Rome granted a city uh, a colony status, then it meant that all of the residents of that city were automatically Roman citizens as well. And uh, interesting, I think Paul takes that into consideration as he writes to them. I'm sure he took that into consideration as he talked to them and worked with them on that second mission journey as he worked with the church and later on the third mission journey. Um, but interesting, when he writes the book of Philippians, he doesn't use any Old Testament quotes. So much like the sermon he gives in Acts 17 to uh, the people of Athens, it is something that is uh, not intended for a Jewish audience, although they could use it as well, but something that, that was willing to acknowledge uh, who the recipients were. Uh, that gets back to Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 9, we should be all things to all people, so that by all possible means we might save some. Uh, Paul didn't feel the need. He didn't see the purpose in using uh, what we call Old Testament scriptures. It wouldn't, mean it. It wouldn't have meant anything uh, to the Roman citizens of first century Philippi. Um, Philippi was the site of one of the most significant military engagements in Roman history in a series of battles there. 42 BC, Mark Antony and Octavian, later to be called Augustus Caesar, conquered the forces of the assassins of Julius Caesar, Cassius, and Brutus, uh, all part of the history of the city of Philippi. Paul found Philippi to be a cosmopolitan area with Romans, Greeks, Jews, and people of quite diverse national and ethnic uh, background. Not as many Jews as in other places Paul would visit. As far as I can tell, there was not even a Jewish synagogue there. He does not quote, again, from the Old Testament because a considerable portion of the citizens were Romans who enjoyed special privileges as colonists. Paul encountered there a community with a pronounced devotion to and pride in the Roman Empire. It's a very interesting dynamic in the city of Philippi. This seems to have been a concern for Paul as he uses language that speaks of civil or political identity, and you are probably remembering one little statement, it's the only time I believe this word is used in the New Testament, but Paul reminds the Philippian Christians in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven. So probably not something that he would have to say if he were addressing some of the other churches that he had been to that had a strong Jewish presence. Uh, they understood that. They didn't consider uh, the Roman Empire to be the first thing on their list but many of the residents of Philippi likely might have. And so it's interesting that Paul reminds them in Philippians 3, verse 20, that we are Christians first and Romans second, that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, 
And I think that's an interesting thing for us in the midst of all of the things that we're going through in America. We do, uh, those of us who are citizens of this great country, uh, we do have citizenship here, but our primary citizenship, we must always remember, uh, is not as Americans, as great a country as the United States is, but rather our first citizenship is in heaven. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the things of this earth that we need, uh, God is concerned about as well, and he will make sure that we have. Well, let's talk for a few minutes about the church at Philippi before we read the first couple of verses of Philippians 1. Uh, the church was established in Acts chapter 16. That's a very powerful uh, chapter. It was on Paul's second mission journey, probably somewhere around uh, 50 of the common era, 50 uh, to 52 CE, somewhere in there. And yes, you probably caught the fact that this is this city is in the Roman province of Macedonia, and we're familiar uh, with Macedonia because of a great hymn that we sing. We have heard the Macedonian call today. Now you sing the next part. Exactly. Send the lights. No, I can't hear you, but you can hear me, and that's plenty bad enough. Uh, Philippi in that northern half of Greece, a, a part of the Macedonian uh, province of first century Rome, and Paul and Barnabas go throughout modern-day Turkey on what we call Paul's first mission journey in Acts 13 and 14. And then they have the Jerusalem conference in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas have their argument over John Mark, who is Barnabas's cousin, and it left them before the end of the trip the first time around. Barnabas wants to take him again. Paul says, no, he's not ready. And they have such a major disagreement that they part company. And Barnabas and John Mark go one way, Mark being the author of the Gospel of Mark and a very close uh, companion and fellow missionary with Peter. Um, and, um, uh, and Paul takes Silas, one of those men that came uh, down to Antioch of Syria from Jerusalem with the letter that James guided the group, James the half-brother of the Lord, guided the group to write to those who were Gentiles, who were not Jews, but were becoming Christians in Acts chapter 15, and uh, Paul and Silas really hit it off. Silas is a great man of God and joins Paul on the second and third mission journeys uh, and has an important role, as we're going to see in Philippi in just a moment. Uh, They're joined by Timothy, whose father was a Greek and whose mother was a Jewish Christian, and his father had never ca uh, called on Timothy to be circumcised because that was uh, not something that the Greeks necessarily did, Jews, of course, but not the Greeks, and so because they're going to be working with some Jews, not necessarily a synagogue in Philippi, but a synagogue in other places, um, Paul has Timothy circumcised, and so Paul and Silas and Timothy are going on this second mission journey, and they're thinking they're going to continue to do what Paul and Barnabas did the first time around, but when they try to try to do that as they're on the western part of modern-day Turkey, they, the Holy Spirit just closes the doors one after another. And finally, Paul has this dream, this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. That's that great Macedonian call that we read about in Acts 16. And so they do. And the first place they go to is this city, this Roman colony of Philippi. And the first group that they interact with, according to Luke's record in Acts 16, is this group of women who, were placed, who found a place of prayer uh, that Paul met with them, uh, and, uh, and Lydia is one of those, and Lydia opens up her heart 
to the gospel and she and her family uh, are baptized. This very wonderful woman becomes a Christian that day and she calls on Paul and those with him to stay at her house. Uh, this wonderful, wonderful Christian woman. Uh, later, Paul is interacting with the people of Philippi and is being hounded by this woman who is a, a slave of some. She had some gift of um, being able to uh, do some things that you normally couldn't do because of a, of a spirit that she had within her. Paul sees the situation and frees her of that spirit, and because of that, her owners uh, get angry because this was their livelihood. And so uh, they have Paul and Silas arrested, and they are, find themselves in jail after being beaten. Um, but during the night, they're singing hymns of praise to God, Acts 16 tells us, and they are released miraculously by the Holy Spirit, but they don't leave. And the Philippian jailer, who had seen all of this, uh, throws himself at their feet after they save him from committing suicide, and they, he asks them, what must I do to be saved? What, I'm actually the one that's in prison, not you. You're the ones that are free. How can I be free? And that's when they tell him to believe in the Lord Jesus. They teach him the gospel. He and all of his family are baptized that very night, that same hour of the night. He washes their wounds that perhaps he may have even helped put on. And then they take him. He takes them back to the jail. That morning, uh, Paul and Silas are released. The authorities are not happy with the fact that they had beaten and flogged and imprisoned Roman citizens, Paul and Silas, both Roman citizens. And so uh, they come and Paul has them escort uh, them out. And so now, uh, years later, he's writing this epistle to them, probably written from prison, not in Philippi, obviously. He's writing the letter to the Philippians. But likely, while Paul was in Rome, this likely occurring during the time that we read about at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, with Paul under house arrest, uh, finally in Rome, perhaps about 10 years or so after the church at Philippi had been established on that second mission journey, sometime around 60 CE, uh, 60 of the Common Era. Uh, other prison epistles that Paul writes from there, uh, the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, um, very important and significant works in the New Testament as well. It's possible that Paul may have written these while he was uh, in jail in Caesarea. Remember, he was there two years as the governor, Felix, uh, refused to allow him uh, to uh, leave, and he left him in prison. Uh, that is possible. That was a little bit earlier, obviously, than when he was in Rome awaiting his appeal for Caesar. Um, and so let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, since that is our study, right? Let's get to that. Uh, Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I use the New International Version, the latest edition, which I believe is 2011. It's not a flawless translation. I also use the English Standard Version, which is a more literal translation. I like the readability and the format of the NIV. I think it's very helpful in public reading and study. The ESV is a little bit more awkward, but it's also a little bit more literal. And so those are good to kind of compare uh, with each other. You've heard me say, if you've been around me, that the, uh, if it's a reliable translation, such as the ESV or the NIV or even the King James or New King James, 
if it's a reliable translation, people ask me what's the best translation to use, and I always say the one that you will read. The one that you will read. Other things such as the message, which is a paraphrase, the Living Bible from years ago, which was also a paraphrase. Um, those are, again, helpful tools, but not reliable translations. That's a different purpose. And so you can compare those and get a lot out of those. Um, I use, as I said, the NIV. So let's look at this, these first two verses uh, before we close this study, I promise, around 4.30. Uh, it shows the customary form of first century letters. Paul typically used this form. He was a child of the first century Roman Empire. He used the cultural form that they used in letter writing, which was to identify the sender, first of all. You know, we say, um, uh, uh, dear John and, and Jane, uh, and then we write the letter, and then we say, love your brother Bill, or something like that. Well, that's not what they do. They don't end with the name of the sender. They begin with that. And so Paul and Timothy are the writers, the senders. Then he identifies the recipients. And in this case, it is those who are uh, the holy people uh, at Philippi, along with the elders or bishops or overseers and uh, deacons. That word holy people, holy one, some translate saints. That's what the word saint is. It is actually um, the word holy, an adjective used as a noun. And so a more literal translation would be holy ones, but we have come in English to call those uh, saints. Obviously, these are people that are very much alive. Uh, saints in the New Testament are another name for Christians or disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not uh, people that are dead. They're people that are very much alive, and they're all the ones who are holy. That word meaning sanctified, set apart, uh, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and redeemed for his mission and for his uh, purpose to love him and to love neighbor as self and to live our lives serving him. That's the ones that Paul writes to. It's another way of talking about the disciples or Christians in Philippi, the holy ones. And then he says something significant along with the overseers or bishops or presbyters uh, and uh, deacons. That term Bishop or overseer, it comes from a term uh, that we uh, know as episkopos. Some others have uh, uh, called themselves episcopalians. That's where this term com comes from. It's the term for bishop or overseer. It's one of the t three terms that are primarily used to describe elders. Elders is another term from the word that we get the word presbyterian, presbyterian from that term, presbyteros. Um, and then, of course, the term shepherd is also used of elders, poime, and that term is used, um, and 1 Peter 5 actually has all three of those terms in one form or another. Uh, great verses like Acts 20, verse 28 that we saw uh, just last week, talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus also uses a couple of those terms. So he identifies uh, the overseers or elders and deacons already, the church being just uh, decades old, a few decades old, has already seen this structure. And we know that when Paul and Barnabas were on that first mission journey in Acts 13 and 14, they went through modern-day Turkey, and then they it was an out-and-back, kind of like some of the out-and-back runs I used to do. Uh, they went out, and then they retraced their steps. And in Acts 14, it says that they established or ordained elders in every town. So very early on, we see the church uh, establishing elders or shepherds, or in this case, bishops or overseers in each congregation. It's a great statement here in the church that is very, very young still. 
then typically after identifying the sender, identifying the recipients, there's a greeting. And we see that here, grace and peace to you. Um, and then uh, the body of the letter, which in this case is only four chapters long. And then the close of the letter with Paul is typically a doxology, which is another word for uh, a blessing or a glorious praise uh, to God. That comes from the term that we, that we uh, have translated into English, the term glory. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, a wonderful start to this great, great letter. Some selected themes that I'll share with you uh, that we're going to see as we go through this great book. Uh, Paul is concerned with his fellowship with the Philippians. He identifies them as being partners in his ministry. We'll talk more especially about that next week. Uh, he speaks about the unity of the church in Philippians chapter 4. He spe specifically names two good sisters, identifying them as his fellow workers uh, with the church and the ministry there in, um, in Philippi, uh, sharing the gospel with that community. Uh, they apparently were not getting along, and so Paul calls on them uh, to be of one mind and calls on others in the church to help make that happen. Very important statement. Uh, he speaks that great passage in Philippians 2, that wonderful first century hymn, perhaps, of that great statement of Jesus Christ and the call to humility and humble service to all Christians based on the example that he gives of how Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold on to and be grasped, but emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a human and the form of a servant and suffered even death on a cross. That great statement in the first 11 verses of Philippians 2. Uh, and then finally, Christian joy. Uh, such an important part of this letter. As Paul writes Philippians 4, one of the most well-known passages beginning in verse 4, he tells them, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And those words are so powerful to us primarily because of where Paul is writing from. He is incarcerated. He is very likely in the uh, capital of the Roman Empire, uh, in jail, awaiting his appeal to the emperor himself that he used as a Roman citizen because his own countrymen, his own people, the Jews, were wanting to put him to death. And he felt like the only way he could get a fair shake, a fair trial, the only way that he could get justice would be to appeal to the Roman emperor Caesar. And so he's waiting uh, there in Rome under house arrest, and that seems to be where he is as he's writing these words. And yet what he's writing about is the joy that we have in Jesus Christ, that even difficult times and the most difficult and challenging of circumstances uh, cannot take away from us. Um, so as we close this study, see, I told you, around 4.30 we were going to close. You didn't believe me, but we are. Uh, Paul's relationship with the Philippians is a great example of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ and the partnership in the gospel that we share with one another. Um, and this relationship of joy is especially important in difficult times. The kind of times that Paul was experiencing, the kind of things that he experienced while he was there at Philippi, uh, being beaten and flogged and put in jail simply for helping a woman. Uh, and, and then other places as well, having that same kind of treatment, and now uh, in jail himself, not knowing if he's going to 
be released or not. He thinks he will, uh, as he tells us in Philippians chapter 1, but he's still not sure. Um, and his great words in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll get to those uh, as well. Uh, this this uh, relationship of joy in Jesus Christ, even in the most difficult times, we can understand and accept and appreciate even in 2020 America. Whatever you're going through, whatever your church is going through, whatever your town is going through, the things that our country are going through, a very difficult uh, pandemic, this novel coronavirus continues to challenge us and to uh, hurt and harm so many. Uh, it has cost us in this country economically. It has cost families uh, their jobs, wages. Uh, relationships have been strained because of this. We've been in isolation, uh, a lot of us, for much of the time, and, and we're only just now beginning to try to ease out of that, but to do that with good, good measure and safely as best we can. Um, these are difficult times. It's a very divided country. Uh, politically in the midst of the last uh, uh, great run, the last few months of a very divisive political uh, time as we see the lead up to the election in November. These are difficult times, uh, but that doesn't take away our joy. And Paul reminds us of that, that we can rejoice always if we are rejoicing in the Lord, not in our country, not in our health, not in our bank account, but we can rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, because we are, our citizenship is in heaven. Um, there's a lot that we're going to talk about next week about Paul's partnership with the Philippians in the gospel mission, and I hope that you'll do some checking on that word, because that's a very special word. Partnership shows up in just a few verses in chapter one. We'll talk about that word next week. It's, we've seen it in some other places in the New Testament, but it's not always translated partnership. That's not what we know it as. I'll let you look at that up for next week, that unity that we have, the relationship with one another, and again, finding joy in difficult times, the joy and peace uh, that prayer brings, as he says in Philippians 4, that being in Christ brings, Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, him who strengthens me. Um, such a great and, and wonderful and encouraging book, and I want this to be a great and wonderful and encouraging study looking at these um, eternal words, these ancient words as we sing about, words of peace, uh, words of joy, even in difficult times. Yes, we are our brothers and our sisters keeper. Philippians tells us that. And yes, our joy comes from serving the Lord. Our joy comes from our citizenship in heaven. Our joy comes from Jesus Christ, our Savior. And no circumstances, no difficult times can take away that joy. I'm looking forward to this study. It'll be on my Facebook page every Sunday at 4 p.m. Uh, we'll have it on our westerwin.com live stream page. We'll broadcast it at 6 p.m. Central Time on Sundays as well. And in between, if you're one of our members, I hope you participate in Donnie Carnathan or Danny Snell's uh, Zoom classes. Um, lots of things, lots of great things happening, but a difficult time still nonetheless. Let's close this study with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the joy that we have, the peace that we have, the peace that surpasses all understanding, as Philippians 4 tells us, that peace that comes from bringing our concerns and our burdens and our requests to you in prayer. We're thankful. We're thankful, Father, that our citizenship is in heaven, 
We're thankful, Father, that Jesus, our Lord, was willing to empty himself and did not feel like he had to hold tightly to that presence with you in your throne room, but emptied himself and became human and a servant and gave his life for us and now is highly exalted. And Father, we look forward to that day when every knee shall bow, things, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, uh, to the glory of God the Father. Father, we know we don't see that day right now. And right now it is, is a time for ministry and mission, and uh, sometimes a time uh, for suffering. And yet, Father, we know that even in these difficult times, as we look ahead to your return, you've given us a ministry, you've given us a mission to share your word with others, to share your peace and your joy with others. Because, Father, we know of this great promise from this great book that we can find joy in the most difficult of times. And for that, Father, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful and blessed week.